0: Hello. Hi, Dan Benjamin. Hi, John. Long time uh, no see. What's up? Yeah. Well, just sitting here. What was your gig like last week? What was that?
1: Oh, yeah. I had a. I got contacted by uh, what I can only describe as a sort of chamber of commerce (laughs) tourism group called Visit Seattle, who represent the, um, well, the whole notion of wanting people to visit Seattle for uh the economy and for fun you know like hotels and restaurants and so forth and they said they uh they had an idea they wanted to do a seattle focused ad campaign and they wanted me to be the spokesman and um flattering That was nice so the concept was that they were going to build a talk show set on the back of a flatbed truck and drive it around town. And I would answer viewer mail about Seattle. <laughs> so cool. And uh, so, so for a couple of days, that's what we did. It, we, they, were, they were long and uh, involved days where we did five or six locations a day. Pull up in the flatbed. I would jump up, sit behind my desk and read uh, viewer mail. To the, you know, in the sense of like, dear Seattle, or hey, Seattle,
0: yeah. I guess. Was it was the hashtag- it wasn't called hey, hashtag hey, Seattle.
1: Hashtag hey, Seattle. <laughs> What's the best place to find oysters in Seattle? And then I would say, well, there, there's really no place that, there's no bad place to find oysters in Seattle because we have the best oysters in the world. But here are a couple of places that I like to get oysters. And then I named you know those two or three restaurants that I typically go for oysters, because the the ad company said, "We don't want to feed you lines. We want you to just talk about your Seattle." Oh." And And I said, "Well, I don't think you do want that because I would just say, "Hey, here are the ten best goodwills in the Northwest." And <laughs> here are the you know, here are the 15 places in Seattle to go sit on a park bench, smoke cigarettes, and cry. <laughs> right, uh, right, of course you know like i'm not gonna have a lot of opinions about where they where the best wine bar is and they were like well do give us your seattle on all the stuff that you know and then of course we do want to promote local wine so we're gonna ask you about that and uh we don't know what to suggest that you do and i was like well all right i'll get, i'll get my friend jason finn to come up here and and i'll ask him a bunch of questions about booze and uh, so there were a few examples of that you know I invited friends up and and used them as ringers for certain questions sure you know what are the best alter- you know alternate art galleries I'm like well I've been going to the same four alt art galleries for 25 years there's probably new ones so I mentioned the ones that I like and then I had my my art friend to get up and of course I didn't want to say like go to the art museum because if you're coming to Seattle and you want to know where the art museum is and you have to watch a TV show to figure it out. I mean, it was a little bit like some of these answers you can find out for yourself. I'm, I'm here to give you the underground scoop. Right. So that's what it was. And you know, they, they, it was a, it was like a paying gig. I have to, you know, I'm not somebody like you and Merlin who just makes a living in a, you know, in a podcast empire. Mm -hmm. I have to also take other jobs. You know what I mean? Like, I have to go do work. I know that's hard for you to
0: believe. No, I be- I do believe it. So, yeah. So, I have to, t- so I have How to do accept these. So, but that is, I mean, all you have to, d- to do is you just basically, you just sit there. Hmm. Then some, you know, big Seattle company calls you up. Yeah. Oh, says, I'm not saying. It's not like you have to work to get your work.
1: No, I'm not saying I'm out pounding the pavement. <laughs> right. And I typically accept jobs where all I have to do is sit there. Yeah. So if you called me up
0: and said... It's "Like To you, hey. a job is just a lot like mine, talking to people.
1: Yeah. If somebody said, we want you to sit in a room for five days and write something with four other people, I would totally do that. Yeah. But if somebody said, we want you to handle the landscaping of a, of a new development, I would say, mm. I mean, maybe I would do it for a day. Maybe I'd do it for a week just mm. to see how it was. Somebody, a mm. good friend called me last night and said, do you want these tickets to see Adele? And I said, I don't know anything about Adele. Right. And he said, yeah, I know. And he was the promoter of the show. So he was like, I figured uh, of all the people I know, you would be the one of anybody who would say, yeah, I'll go to see Adele Mm -hmm. just to see what it is. And I was like, well, you're absolutely right. I will go to see Adele just to see what it is. So I went alone to the Adele concert. And, of course, they were very good seats because they were from the promoter. And I was blown away by Adele and that's the reason that you do say yes to uh, to those things because when he offered me the tickets, I was like, Adele, isn't she some kind of like America's got talent person or Britain's got talent person? Why do I want to go see that? It's going to be too, all this histrionic like kind of vocals that I'm not really into, like fake British girl doing gospel music thing. I'm not, this is going to suck. I was like, no, I'll go see it turns out she's the consummate performer right absolutely like top shelf in every respect she's hilarious she's self-effacing she's got this voice like a like a chorus of trumpets <laughs> and you know and 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 as a result of that i couldn't even tell if the music was corny you know what i mean like there was that was no, that did not even enter into The question, right? If I if I heard it on the radio, I'm not sure what I would have thought. But sitting there in the room, it's like there's nothing corny about this. This is fantastic, and I, you know, there were several moments in the show that I got actually emotional. Right. So that's all, you know. That's always what I do. Somebody calls me up and says, "We want you to," you know. If somebody said, "We want you to try out our new half pipe," I would say, "I'm too old to try out a half pipe. I'm going to hurt myself." Right. But I will come stand on the edge of the half pipe and watch other you know talented skaters skate this half pipe and if somebody gives me a microphone i'll do a running commentary
0: in fact that sounds like a great now i can tell you're kind of you're getting into that now
1: what the hell why isn't somebody doing that already hey everybody welcome to the show i don't know anything about skateboarding but look at these kids go (laughs) yeah yeah you know i'm a big fan of tony hawk Tony Hawk is is my age and he's still doing inverted 960 Mobiuses or right. whatever. Yeah, whatever they call that. And I'm uh and he's always been, you know, Tony Hawk is think about this a professional sports guy who's been in the game for what? Over thirty years, and you still never is there any scandal associated with Tony Hawk? Has he ever like he's always been cool. It's not like he's some straight edge. Even though Straight Edge is cool, it's not like he's some, you know, square. But Tony Hawk has never, he's never crashed a Ferrari drunk. He's never.
0: He's like a family, uh, family. He's
1: man. a yeah. He's a family man, but he's still like, you know, he grinds, he shreds, <laughs> right. he, he shroups. You totally. know, he's still this out there sh- shrouping. So I don't know. I greatest American hero, if you know what I'm saying. Seriously.
0: I don't know. I, I I guess there are some people he's like, you know, he's like a family guy. He's got kids and video games. Mm-hmm. So I think but, how do that you, is, but how do
1: just, you do that and keep shralping, Dan? I think are you rol, still whole
0: Rolfing is the word you're looking for. No, you know, he's not rolfing. <laughs> no.
1: That's one thing about him. He doesn't seem like a guy with like a hilarious sense of humor. Yeah. Somebody said to me the other night, a lady friend of mine said, when you're looking for a boyfriend, when you're looking for guys, you can have smart, you can have funny. Mm-hmm. Well, Here's what you're looking for. Smart, funny, and nice. Right. But a guy that's smart, funny, and nice is a unicorn. You can have any two, but not all three. Ah. So you can have smart and funny, you can have funny and nice, you can have smart and nice, but you can't have all three.
0: Where does good-looking fit into that? Or is uh, that just cute? off the table completely?
1: Well, you know, this is the thing that if you read enough cosmopolitan magazines, as I have done, There's this kind of mythology, right? That girls don't, they're not thinking about cute at first. They're thinking about, is he funny? Is he smart? Is he nice? And then cute, you know, obviously cute is important, but it's not like the top. Whereas according to Cosmopolitan magazine, if you ask a bunch of guys, the first thing they say is, what's her butt look like? And then everything proceeds from there. You know, is she nice is like way down the line, right? anyway and i was like what are you talking about smart funny and nice i'm smart funny and nice and she said are you nice and then i had to think hmm, am i nice maybe not nice maybe not like like do you nice. think people meet you
0: and come away and, gosh he was so nice i yeah i hear You're that nice hear that. a nice young man
1: but it's not, you know it's <laughs> easy to be nice for five minutes yeah. but she was like are you are you nice I was like, hmm, all right, well, maybe not nice. You got me there. <laughs> but like Dan, if smart,
0: funny, and nice, which two are you? Uh, smart, funny, or nice. Smart, maybe mm-hmm. funny. I'm mm-hmm. one out of three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's hard. It's hard to be even two. And if you can get two on the list, I think you're I think very much a catch. Right? Two up on the board. Yeah. And and my and I
1: guess in the in the worlds that I live in, hardly any of the women that have dated me have ever said like I'm looking for a nice
0: guy. <laughs> that right? wasn't they're the just, attraction. You don't. Think- they're not looking for a nice guy.
1: No, <laughs> not a one. Of them. And I imagine that Tony Hawk is very smart because he's run this tremendous business See, empire. Why do
0: I have the impression that Tony Hawk is a nice guy? I've never well, met serious. him. I don't even think I've ever seen him interviewed.
1: That's what I'm saying. I think Tony but Hawk has got to be smart. is comes across as
0: a nice guy. Why? He's I don't got, know.
1: He's got to be nice. He skateboards in a nice way. He's very aggressive, <laughs> but but he's not a showboat. You know, like when Tony Hawk lands a thing, he doesn't get up in the camera and go, booyah! Right. You know, he's just like, yeah, thanks. Right. I just landed a really hard
0: skate trick. Right. Like his his trademark isn't like finished with the middle finger up in the air or something. You know, it's yeah. like not his thing. Right. He's got no neck to Right. Right. Right.
1: But my guess is that Tony Hawk is not funny. He's smart and he's nice, but I don't think he's funny. No, because in in thirty five years of following his career, I've never seen him do a funny thing. No, doesn't even make a funny face. He's
0: just like, "Yep, right on, right on, right and on." And that's some people might suggest that that is simply because, uh because there's no real personality there. Mm, yeah, that he's just all business. He's so good, he doesn't have to be anything else, but. The fact remains is that he's just he's all he's all business.
1: It's hard to gauge what what dinner over at the hawk house (laughs) would be like at the his airy the hawk airy. (laughs) What's dinner over there going to be like? I'm sure his wife is nice, although I don't think I've ever seen her sit around chit chat every once in a while. You know, it's like having dinner with an astronaut. Like at a certain point, the the moon landing is going to come up. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to go over, you're not going to go over to, you know, Buzz Aldrin's house and not
0: eventually. it's coming up. No, start
1: talking about going to the moon.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, that's the opener with him.
1: Well, yeah, but you're over at the house, right? He's like, Hey, come on over. You're like, great. Thanks. What's for dinner? Ah, it's food. And then you come, you sit down, you're like, you know, you're, you're talking to his spouse, uh, he's talking to your spouse. You're talking to your spouse. You're making some jokes, right? You don't start right off with like moon landing.
0: No, I mean, I might. I might be like, dude, come <laughs> on, the moon. Seriously. You're not going to get invited back to dinner a second time. No, then. I know I'm not going to get invited. That's why I've got to start out with it. Yeah. Well, I'm never, I'm lucky I got there in the first place.
1: He's talked to, he's talked about this a lot. I would let him bring it up. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say, okay, enough chit chat like here comes the coffee dinner's over here comes the coffee so what was that like no you wait you wait for him to say which he's inevitably going to do because it's like they say about firefighters how do you know there's a firefighter at your party he's going to tell you wearing the big hat (laughs) right Right? he's going to be like well as a firefighter you know he's never you're never gonna have a firefighter (laughs) at the party that's not gonna bring it
0: up i just i think that uh i think that that people with that kind of job and I might even include I might even include a musician in this. I feel like if you show up to a party just to sort of, you know, figure out, let people know kind of how you fit, you you should probably have a guitar with you, even if you don't play, even if your instrument's a in piano or something. Yuck. You know, show up just with a guitar under your arm. Don't say anything about it. <laughs> you know, and just have it on. And People are like, oh, you brought a guitar. Well, I'm a musician, you see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, in case later on things uh, lead to it, I, I could sing. Mm-hmm. just sing and do a, do some songs yeah
1: you want me to want a little song yeah
0: yeah just I bring it with me because people always wind up asking me I figure it's an icebreaker mm-hmm. you know and like my, if my... you're a fireman you wear the red hat <laughs> you wear the red hat yeah you wear <laughs> no I think
1: typically if you have a barbecue and, and you invite a fireman he is there's a 94% chance he's going to show up in a t-shirt with the fire department logo on it like 94% <laughs> <chance.
0: laughs>
1: the yeah. 6% chance that he doesn't show up with that he's going to be he's going to show up in some kind of guy fieri uh (laughs) like short sleeve shirt with some flames on it right
0: we would like to say thank you very much to harry's harry's you know we're talking a lot about uh beards and shaving and things like that well we shave that's it we're guys we shave harry's makes the razors h-a-r-r-y-s harry's.com Right now, they are giving you $5 off your first purchase if you use the promo code ROADWORK. And what would that get for you? I recommend you go and check out the Truman set. It is a very, very cool shaving set made with these really great razors. These guys have the best razors in the business. You get five German-crafted blades, flex hinge, lubricating strip, quality guaranteed. They give you a full refund if you're not happy with it. And, uh, these are factory direct prices. You're going to cut out the middleman. They've got no upcharges. It's half the price of the leading brand. And they sell you these little kits, like the one I'm telling you about the Truman one. It's really awesome. This is their starter set. It's great for new customers. It's an awesome gift. Get it for, uh, for yourself, for a loved one, uh, women out there, they will frequently steal these from you guys. So you know what, you can get one for, uh, for your girlfriend, for your wife, for your spouse, it's fifteen bucks. You get a razor handle, you get the moisturizing shave cream, you get three of those blades I was telling you about. And you do this all at Harry's.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S, Harry's dot com, and you enter the code Roadwork and you'll get five bucks off. That makes it ten bucks for the starter kit. You get the awesome handle, you get the blades, you name it, it's all there. We love Harry's. We use Harry's, and you can too, so go check it out. H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Harry's Code to use is road work.
1: I so my my friend Michael Schilling, who used to be the drummer in the Long Winters, you know, he's like a Jewish kid from Scarsdale or whatever. He's from from uh, you know Southern Connecticut, and he had an uncle who was a dentist on the Upper East Side. And if you've ever been to the Upper East Side, and you, you just you know the kind of dentist we're talking about here, it's a very wealthy dentist. At a at a, a wealthy, he has a he has a dental practice up there, catering to wealthy people. It's a whole subset of the world. Uh, it's a it's a it's like a a part of New York society. It's a sort of central notion. An Upper East Side Jewish dentist is a kind of it's an archetype, right? It's like an it's it's like a cowboy. There are just there are some cowboys left in the world, and there are some of these characters left in the world too. So he is my, Michael Schilling's uncle is vacationing in Aruba or something, and he's sitting on a be sitting on a, on a white sand beach and, and it's an exclusive location, so there aren't a lot of people on the beach. He's just out there with his family dipping their toes in the water and along the beach comes this character with long hair and looks all scraggly this is this story is being told by Michael's uncle. <laughs> looks all scraggly, looks, you know, like a destitute homeless person. And he walks up and says, Hello, hello, what are, you know, how are you? And Michael's uncle says, I'm good. And they start to chat. Turns out they hit it off, just an immediate rapport. And so they're there on the beach, and the two guys are like laughing and having a good time. Just, you know, one of those sp- meet cutes, right? Yeah, a sure. spontaneous sort of like, Wow, I like talking to you. And, uh, And so they're palling around, and Michael's uncle says, well, why don't you join us for dinner? And he says, well, of course I would love to, but let me ask you. You don't know who I am, do you? And Michael's uncle said, no. Should I? And the long-haired guy says, you know what? No, you shouldn't. That's why we're that's why we're having such a good time, and that's why we're gonna have a good time. And so they spent the next several days because the long-haired guy's uh, cabana was like one cabana over from Michael's uncle's cabin. They spent the whole rest of their vacation just just friends and just going over back and forth. Their two houses were open to one another. Long-haired guy's family was there. The two families intermingled. Turned out the guy was Steven Tyler <laughs> <No way. laughs> and Steven Tyler, <laughs> you know, had, had, had this, uh, had this vacation planned and he ends up next to this, uh, this wealthy upper east side dentist who has no idea who he is. because Just the two worlds do not intersect at all. And yet they became total pals and had this like wonderful vacation together. And I think it was probably such a relief to Steven Tyler that he did not have to come to the dinner with a guitar (laughs) that he did not have to at any point tell the story about the time that his drummer drove a Ferrari up underneath a, a semi truck on I 95. He didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to talk about run DMC. He was just like, I'm just a guy and we're just hanging out, eating, eating seafood and being waited on. So, yeah, I feel like probably if you go to dinner at Buzz Aldrin's, you you have to pretend that you barely know who he is just in order to, to be polite and let him say, well, you know, that kind of reminds me um, one time one time I went to the moon and it was, you know, it was kind of like what you're saying. It was kind of <laughs> it kind of resembles the story that you just told. Uh, but I was I was at the moon and you know, and there was some there were some interpersonal problems to solve the the computer uh was a little overloaded, and we had to reprogram it. It was a really interesting day, like you just let him do that like for me dan there I have a lot of adventures in my life that uh, that I cannot just bring up in conversation. It really has to the conversation really has to go there.
0: You know what I mean Yes. You know, you can't but, just. Be- uh, okay, but if you're Buzz Aldrin, mm-hmm. the way most people know you is for the moon thing. Mm-hmm. That's right, and it just makes sense to me that you have to kind of expect that people are going to want to learn about it, acknowledge about it. And it's not like there's a lot of people who have performed in, in front of big audiences or put out big fires or whatever it is. I think all of those are fairly unique experiences. But the moon being that the fact is that the, the moon is, being anywhere near the moon mm-hmm. is such a rare special thing that that's, you've got to think that that's really high on the list of stuff to talk about. And I feel like you just at some point, you just kind of want to give them what they want. Like, let's talk about the moon now. I don't
1: see. I don't think he wants it. I think you're right that it's, it's really high on the list of things for you to talk to him about. Yeah. But I think he just wants to talk about like the peach cobbler. He's just a normal guy. He just wants to hang out and just, No, I not... feel like
0: the moon changes you. I feel like once you've been to Maybe. the moon, you have a whole different perspective and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. Cause this isn't firsthand for me, mm-hmm. but I feel like, It's like one, some advice that somebody uh, gave me before, long before I had kids, uh, I was talking to them about uh, their kids and I'm like, I just, it's weird, weird for me. I don't know what to say to a child. I don't know how to (laughs) communicate to them. They they (laughs) frighten and confuse me. Mm -hmm. And he said, here's the best advice you'll ever get for interacting with a kid until you have your own kids. And then it all changes. He said, but the best advice I can give you is, usually, the child is holding something. Talk to the child about the thing that they're holding. Ask them know. questions about it. And I said, okay, this could work. And then the next time, I was with uh, some friends of mine. They had a, a daughter who was maybe three years old or something like that. And she was holding some kind of little doll or a flower. I don't know what it was. And I said, well, yeah. what's your doll's name? And she that that did it. I was immediately, I was beloved. It was great. We talked. It was fine. It broke the ice. I feel like Buzz Aldrin, wherever he goes, he might as well be carrying the moon in his hands and mm. holding this thing out and showing it to people and saying, go ahead ask me about the moon. No, and no. And if I was Buzz, I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to say, who went to the, in the mirror? Who went to the moon? You did, buddy. You went to the moon. He every might be morning, doing that.
1: But I, yeah, I think you overestimate the degree to which adults uh, <laughs> carry their accomplishments around like a doll that they want people to notice. I mean, maybe <laughs> if I were going to bring it up, here's how I would bring it up. Yeah. If I were talking to Buzz Aldrin, right. we, he invited me over to the house. Uh-huh. And I have to assume that he invited me over to the house for a reason, which is that he's a big fan of my podcast. <laughs> right? right. Or he loves the long winters. There's the a reason.
0: listener. We, you, you do attract, I have to say. Some very very unique listeners. I would yeah. not think it's outside the realm of possibility. He's listening right now.
1: There are some. There are some uh, listeners to the program that uh, that I couldn't have predicted. Yeah, and uh, and usually they stay silent until I say something about them about like something the moon. That, that has to Buzz, do with them. And like, listen. If Buzz is listening, here's how I would. Here's how I approach it. Right. You're talking about. You're just talking about the food. You're talking about your day. You know, you let Buzz talk about, I'd let Buzz talk about me for a while because I'm the guest, right? He wants me there. I'd, you know, I would, I'd tolerate him asking me some questions about, about, um, you know, my podcast and my my rock music. Right. And then I would say, here's what I would say. You know, Buzz, I've been to Mission Control and I've seen the Saturn V rocket. Mm. And let me tell you, That is a hell of a rocket and I can only imagine what it must feel like to be sitting there in that chair and you've been training to be an astronaut for a long, long time. You've gone through all those things that we saw in the right stuff where they spin you around in a centrifuge and you've been in the little capsule and they filled it full of smoke and they took your oxygen away to see what you would do, but no one has ever experienced what it's like to sit on top of a Saturn V rocket when it lights. You know, that's not a thing you can simulate. You can put you in a chair and shake the chair and make it sound really loud. Right. But to be at the top of that amount of kinetic energy and to feel that explosive power must be, I mean, that is a singular experience. And so see what I'm doing, Dan, I'm leaving the moon completely out of it. Hmm. Going around the moon is a fucking singular experience. Holy Christ. But I mean, it's an experience so singular that it dwarfs sitting on top of a lit Saturn V rocket.
0: Right. But
1: you start slow. Uh Tell me about that rocket. And the thing is, he's used to talking about the moon, but this is a little bit of, it's just a little bit more on the technical side. Sure. You know he's an astronaut. He, he's he's, a, he's in, intrinsically like a science nerd because that's who they pick. He's a, he's like an aeronautical engineer and a jet pilot and all these things. But you know he wants to talk about he wants to talk about the the ins and outs. You know. So he's like, oh, let me tell you about the Saturn V, this rocket, and I'm like, yeah, tell me about the rocket. He just, and then his guard is down and, you know, and he's like going, he's telling the whole story about like, you've got it. it. Really, let me tell you, if you have the opportunity to sit on top of a Saturn V rocket, take it. It is so choice. And I would just be like eating it up. But then he's talking about the rocket. What? Where is that going to lead? Then you're in space. Really? Then what happens? Well, then you fly through space for a long time. Really, where do you go to the bathroom? Well, we go to the bathroom in little buckets. Whoa! Then what happens? Well, then you're at the moon. Whoa! The moon. <laughs>
0: cool. <laughs>
1: then what happens? Yeah, I mean it's
0: it, it's you. I get it. You're kind of leading him where you want him to go.
1: Yeah, but you know you let him take you there, but you don't stay. You know, because to start off at the moon, you're you're just being a fanboy. Mm-hmm. you don't want to be a fanboy. you always want to in a conversation with somebody, you always want to find where you guys are peers, find the thing. And then you let the person demonstrate that they are not your peer at all. They are way, way, way somewhere else. But you know, but you start off
0: where your peers, that's so kind of like an ego booster in a way.
1: Well, or just something. So then when he's like, well, enough about the moon, tell me what it was like to open for the Decemberists. I can be like, well, You've been to the moon, but you've never opened for the December. And let me tell you, if you get a chance, nah, you know, don't worry about it. Or, I mean, if you know, if you get a chance to play the, uh, the Greek theater in Hollywood, California, in Los Angeles, if you get a chance to play the Greek theater, boy, do it, Buzz, because it's really a great room. And the thing about Buzz is he could go, hmm. Alright, I'll call somebody and I'll book a show at the Greek theater and he would sell it out if it if it was just like I'm gonna walk up and down the stage and talk about going to the moon and I'm gonna show you a slideshow. Right? right. I mean, he'd sell three thousand tickets to that. Right. I'd buy a ticket to that. So I mean it's not it's it's not like anything I've ever done isn't within Buzz's realm. I mean I he can't play a scorching guitar solo no. like I can, I can probably. But yeah that would be my technique. And the the thing about you and me Dan is that what people know us for one of our primary skills which is that we can talk, we can blather for 2 hours. Mm-hmm. And not everybody can do that. Maybe even Buzz Aldrin can't. But that's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to even quantify. People, you know, people, I this, they must do this to you all the time but you can say, "Oh, I run a podcast business." and to whatever degree people know what that means at least they can nod and go like mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know people ask me what i do i'm like um i don't know and then right away there's no nobody can like there's no entrance point there nobody can say oh that's kind of like me that's kind of like what i do which is right. go to the
0: moon no frame of reference no
1: yeah i'm sitting at a dinner party and somebody says what do you do and i say kind of like this, what we're doing. I basically like my job is to sit at dinner parties, except there's no food and there's no one else there. I'm like, Hmm. You know, like what's, what's their next question? (laughs) How much money do you make? Right. (laughs) Right. Which is, Oh, anybody really wants to know. I would make, I'd start with that. I'd start with that. Buzz, you seem like you were, when you were at NASA, you were probably really underpaid given all the stuff you were doing, right? You weren't making that much money. He would say, no, but part of the pay is that I went to the moon and I would say, you know what? That's kind of like my career. People (laughs) tell me all the time that part of my pay is something else, right? Exposure or how much fun it must be to be in show business. Like that's part of my pay too. But both of us were kind of getting ripped off all the time Uh because people are like, Oh, I'm a millionaire and I want you to, you know, I love your music. Here's $11. <laughs> you know, we're expected to sell t-shirts now to make a living. musicians.
0: Buzz Aldrin doesn't have to sell t-shirts. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think there's something to that, though, to the, the conversational aspect of interacting with, with somebody who must get asked the same kinds of questions all the time who must get interacted with the same way. Like if you're going to a classroom of fifth graders, they're probably going to start out with the moon question. Yeah, sure. And what I feel like you're saying is you, yes. So differentiate yourself from slightly, the fifth grader, from the fifth grader somehow. Yes.
1: That but should do, be everyone's Yeah. Everyone listening to this program who is not currently in the fifth grade should at least try and differentiate themselves from fifth graders a little bit. Yeah by having a little bit more savvy in terms of how to interact with other people. Yeah. Like Steven Tyler, right. Steven Tyler has, uh, has forgotten more times he's had sex than anyone listening to this program has ever had sex. Right. Mm-hmm. Except for, except, for the fact that I bet you that we have some sex addicts listening to this program who've maybe even had more sex than Steven Tyler. <laughs> but they are in the minority. Right. But Steven Tyler did a you know, did a bunch of sex during a time when he was also doing a bunch of drugs. And so there's all this sex that Steven Tyler's had that he doesn't even remember. Yeah. Well, now that's not that seems cool if you're fifteen. But if you're a little bit older, if you've ever had sex even one time that you don't remember because you were on drugs, you realize that's not something that is very great. That's not actually something that you're proud of because it just doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel very good to do it. It doesn't feel very good to have done it. You're just like, ugh, I'm gross. That was gross. Well, Steven Tyler carries that around with him his whole life. He basically, he doesn't have a monkey on his back. He's got a gorilla on his back of just sort of, it's basically shame that he feels that other people are telling him is really cool. This is, the, this is the, uh, the Keith Richards problem. Keith Richards is a monster, 90% because all the things that he's actually really ashamed of himself for doing, he's lionized for by his millions of fans who don't understand who don't understand that it, actually that was all very gross. And so Keith has got to walk around all the time going like, yeah, that's right. I live a I I I life. I'm a pirate. <laughs> and yet he's thinking to himself, you know, I used to go into people's houses and just ash my cigarettes on the carpet because I was so fucked up and also I sucked. And people were like, he just is ashing his cigarette on our white carpets, but we can't really say anything because he's Keith Richards and that's like on brand or whatever. If Keith has any soul at all, he's, she's ashamed of that. But everywhere, you know, every, every person he meets is like, tell us again about the time that you ashed your cigarette on the, on Queen Elizabeth. (laughs) And so, you know, he's like, how do you, how do you be? good or normal under those circumstances. And Steven Tyler, of course, has been through, he's been through AA a dozen times. He's tried. And he seems right. like a very smart guy, Steven Tyler. Yeah. He's tried. And so he's tried to, to say like, I would like sometimes to just be a human being who doesn't have people around him looking at, you know, or doesn't have people around me looking at me with these big eyes that are communicating, all this adulation for stuff that I am kind of disgusted by. Right. They were making a record one time and they were like shooting crossbows at each other. (laughs) I mean, you know, just like, sure. That sounds fun. And we laugh and I'm like, actually, that's pretty good. But, uh, you know, they were awful. And that's, and that those, that's the thing. Those are, that's an awful way to live. And you get into that, you get into that circumstance because you have more money than brains. And celebrity does a terrible thing to you. And rock and roll does a terrible thing to you. And all of a sudden you're doing this stuff and it's all kind of a performance. And then you're legitimately addicted to drugs and legitimately still being given everything. You know, one of the things for me, of course, was I got addicted to drugs, but at a certain point people stopped giving me stuff. Because most drug addicts like run out their rope. And so then you're, then nobody's your friend anymore and you're just, uh, you're just shitty and either you fall further, you like wallow in your shittiness and like keep falling or you say, boy, this is shitty and you try and arrest your fall somehow. And Steven Tyler was doing that, but when you're a rich, when you're a rich person, Mm -hmm. You just get shittier and shittier and nobody's there to arrest your father. You've actually got doctors there who, who bring you back from the brink of death. Think about Prince landing yeah. his plane on the way home to have to have himself resuscitated. <laughs> like that's that's some rich drug addict yeah. stuff yeah. That, the, that most of us don't have access to. But it doesn't make you that that is not the behavior that makes you into a good person. So I think if Steven Tyler came to your dinner party and you were like, tell me all the times that you had really gross sex with somebody (laughs) in gross location, which is kind of what you're asking about when you talk about like, tell me about the rock and roll. Tell me about what's the, you know, I still do interviews all the time. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? What's the, you know, what's the, what's the darkest or weirdest or most surprising thing that ever happened to you on tour? It's like, ugh, you don't want to know. And I don't want to talk about it. And that's not what's cool about being a musician, but that's what everybody wants.
0: You know? Well, I think because, and I think that's definitely true with the moon, maybe true to some extent with, you know, with, uh, with, with being a musician or being in rock and roll and like being in a big band because the things that those folks did, I mean, it, for better or for worse, it is kind of a legendary like the the like Led Zeppelin destroying their hotel room and all that.
1: Led Zeppelin had their own airplane. Yeah. That was almost because of the time, right? Was almost certainly filled with half-naked teenagers. Like like terrible. Terrible terrible business. But that's what they were, you know. They're and they're climbing onto a uh, to their own airplane full of half-naked teenagers and at least Jimmy Page is so gacked out on Right, heroin. Heroin. he doesn't even he doesn't even know he's being hoisted into there and he sits in a chair uh, uh nodding off for the whole flight right like that doesn't sound that fun although now you you watch that that documentary uh it can get loud yeah and uh jimmy page just seems like a gentle amazing
0: yeah, kind guy who's just interested in playing some guitar but who
1: knows what it's like to have dinner with Jimmy Page? That's another one. You sit down at the dinner table. Hey, what's up? What did you do today? <laughs> tell me about your podcast. Oh, let me tell you about my podcast, Jimmy yeah, Page. Yeah, and then uh, then you can tell me about the recording of Led Zeppelin too.
0: See, I don't. I, I actually feel like I would be much more interested in just a standard conversation with Jimmy Page who's one of my, you know, guitar heroes and why I learned to play guitar and everything else. Much more than I'd be able to have a non-moon conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like if you said, "Listen, you're going to you just you one-on-one with Jimmy Page. You get to have dinner with Jimmy Page tonight." Mm-hmm. Great restaurant. Oh yeah. You know, it will not Everybody be Everybody else r- in
1: the restaurant is like, "Is that fucking Jimmy Page? Right. Is that John Bonham? Are right, they right,
0: having right, dinner right. together?" But I'll tell you what, like if if the limit was you can absolutely not bring up anything at all relating to music, mm-hmm. I could I could have that dinner, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if you said you're going to sit down with Buzz and you can't bring up the moon, forget it. I'm out. I can't do it. Couldn't do really. It. Yeah, you couldn't just sit
1: and talk no. to him about metallurgy or something. No. I bet he has a so my lot of was A metallurgist, by the way. That you know that uh, <laughs> right there um, sounds like you got it by Voices song. My grandfather was a metallurgist. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You know what? We're going to say thanks now to Mac Weldon. It's better than whatever you're wearing right now. Don't believe me? They want you to believe me. They believe in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. You go to the website. What do they sell? They sell underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and that's it. You go there. You pick out what you want. They send it to you. And you know what? If you don't like your first pair, you keep it. They still give you a full refund, no questions asked. That's how confident they are in the stuff that they make. And it is really cool stuff. It's antimicrobial naturally. That means it eliminates odor. You want to be like John Roderick and wear this special silk. They have like silver interlaced in there into the underpants. It sounds silly, but it actually works. Not only do they look good, they perform well. It's great for working out. It's great for going to work, going out on dates, everyday life. You name it, Mac Weldon. Has got you covered. Literally. Go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K, MacWeldon.com, and they will give you twenty percent off using the promo code Roadwork. So don't forget, smart design, premium fabrics, simple shopping, MacWeldon.com. Use the code Roadwork for twenty percent off.
1: Uh, I feel like I feel like buzz is, so let's say we're not talking about the moon, but can we talk about being a jet pilot or nothing to do at all with, with NASA?
0: Nothing to do with any kind of aviation, travel, space exploration, nothing. I see.
1: No, he's still, he's a fascinating guy. He's, he's like a, he's like a technical guy. He's a, uh, he's got, he's got strong opinions. He's He's a, he's a, he's a, Colorful guy. You know, he's a crotchety old man, right? You can yeah. have a conversation with a crotchety old man. Of
0: course. You meet him I'm all doing, the time. I'm doing it right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wind up a crotchety old man, and then you sit back and and uh, and watch the fireworks. Right. You know, you talk, you say. Getting
0: just excited just, about something. and then Yeah,
1: just mention Woodrow Wilson. I'm <laughs> sure he's got a thousand things to <laughs> yeah. say. Uh, uh-huh. So I mean I wouldn't pass up the opportunity to, to have dinner with him even if I was I was prohibited from speaking about the moon. Like if I had dinner with Hillary Clinton right now. Okay. Right? There's a lot going on in her life.
0: I would start with the plane crash. What plane crash? The plane that she was in that they it's like the covered up. The covered up plane crash. She was in a covered up plane crash? Yes. She was going to I think it was Iran. This is 2012, 2013. This is what led up. You don't know about it. I thought you were into the conspiracy theory things.
1: Oh, not really. What is the plane? I'm this not. Is I'm into them only one. because I'm tangentially like some of my other worlds overlap with conspiracy
0: theorists, but I'm not one of them. Oh, wow. Well, tell me about the plane crash. Okay, so a pa- there's, it depends on, you know, the details vary uh, depending on like which, you know, which story you read. Right.
1: If, it, if, it's an, if it's in an ET blog, there's probably going to be some ET involvement.
0: Yes. Right. Uh, but apparently there was a, uh, Hillary Clinton was injured atop a uh, U.S. Navy SEAL commander was killed. Uh, they were on a military, well, you would care about this. I'm just pulling up my notes here. It was a C-12 Huron. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now now we are speaking in the same language, mm-hmm. uh, which is a military passenger uh transport airplane. Mm-hmm. It crash landed in Iran near what? the Iraqi border. What? And she was there to have some kind of secret meeting. What? Uh, and it and uh so she was injured, seriously injured in this, they say. And they cover-up part of it says that she had a nasty bout of the stomach flu and then later because of the stomach flu passed out and hit her head which gave her a head wound and a concussion which the conspiracy theorists say was the actual injury in in the plane crash and that uh since then she has been on different kinds of like anti-clotting um meds and other kinds of meds and was actually seriously injured in this uh in in this. Uh-huh. This is what this this is the rumor uh uh-huh. of what's going on.
1: Uh huh. <laughs> well <clears throat> now I'm looking online can you this.
0: confirm can you confirm this? Is this I'm
1: I'm looking online and I'm seeing that the source
0: Well one of, source was the Kremlin.
1: Yeah, right. The source but, is but that the Kremlin. doesn't
0: it immediately mean you should discount it.
1: No, but I'm not seeing any other sources outside of... Do you of, need more? I'm not seeing any other sources outside of Iranian intelligence agents quoted in the, basically, KGB report. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it feels like a little bit sort of... I'd, I'd like a, I'd like one other sort of triangulated...
0: I th- Okay, outst- I will look, I'll look up source. I'll look out of that source for you, but i believe when i first learned about this a few years ago that i did i did a little bit of research i don't i don't see it here in my notes but i can i can find out more but it definitely you know it the the plane was there she was on the plane so uh uh-huh. but i don't know i mean oh, you, know, you
1: feel like definitely the plane was there and definitely she was on
0: the plane i i feel and confident in that part of it i'm not and, sure and about definitely the, the plane crashed I, f- I feel like that happened. I feel like this is this
1: happened. Okay. Well, if all three of those conditions were met, then yes, her plane crashed in
0: Iran. But I will, I'll investigate further and I'll follow up with you.
1: Okay. Now, this, this, the, you know, anyway, this if, see, th- that's what I would
0: ask her. If, if we, if I'm, if I wake up and I'm sitting at the dinner table with Hillary Clinton, that's the first thing I'm going to talk to her about. That's is my entry cr- point in the conversation.
1: And if she says, no, that's just some Russian you know, disinformation, you're going to be watching her. You're going to be watching her eyes to see if, if she, uh, if her pupils dilate.
0: Oh Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Say yeah, like, of course. So I'm going to be watching her that, that way the whole time anyway.
1: Yeah. But you're not worried that that right out of the gate is going to alienate you guys so that for the rest of the dinner party, you just sit there with your silverware scraping on your plate and you've like, you blew your wad right at the top. And now there's no chance that you guys are going to be friends.
0: Yeah, I don't. I'd be all right with that. In that particular case, I'm okay with with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm wow. all right
0: with that in that case.
1: You wouldn't start with like, wow, you were, you know, you were at Yale in the '60s, mm. and Yale had only become, you know, had only started. Is this an meeting. interview
0: or just a dinner?
1: Well, no, you're at a dinner, right? But every every conversation at a dinner is is at least at first some kind of you have to start
0: somewhere because if it's an interview i'm going to knock it out of the park but if i'm hillary clinton is not going to be
1: listening to my podcast i'm almost certain right so she's not going to know who i am i'm going to be at a table of 15 people because she's there and this is some this is some dinner where most of the people there have have paid to be there as a fundraiser and i've been brought to the dinner by a rich person who this is has happened rich.
0: to you a lot because the way you talk about it, it seems like you're <laughs> often brought to places by, you know, somebody with somebody with some cash mm-hmm. who wants a different kind of entertainment, <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, you know, you know who you got to get for your party? You got to get John, John Roderick, get him yeah. out there. Yeah. That and happens. is that a, that's a normal thing?
1: Well, because there are, there are rich people who like to stir it up and right. like, uh, you Know, like to uh, have, they're not themselves very interesting conversationalists. And so they bring a proxy. Oh, for right. Right. Like, my date to this event is not going to be my spouse, right? Who is also going to sit there and just scrape her knife on the oh, plate. No. My date to this event is going to be my colorful friend who is going to, you know, spark a uh, laughs or conversation and then that is going to reflect on me because i'm the one that brought this sure. you know this colorful clown this dancing uh <laughs> monkey with the symbols in his hands and a and a fez right. and so yeah i mean that's how i met spike lee that's how i you know i met a lot of people where i was brought to the event by um you know to what it what ends up being a very small private event and i'm and i'm there and like why the hell am i there And then I start, and the thing is, why is anybody there? Well, everybody else there is is there because they're rich, and that's boring. To Spike Lee, right? He's sitting there, and he's like, ugh, another dinner with a bunch of rich people, but I want to get this thing funded. Right. I want to get my new film funded, so this is, you know, what I have to do. People, you know, celebrities around the world and and important sort of politicians and stuff are on this circuit all the time. Like, here's a dinner. It costs $2,500 to come, and... Uh, Or it costs $25,000 to come and you get to sit at a table with Spike Lee or you get to sit at a table with Hillary Clinton. And then the celebrity goes, "Ugh, yuck, I hate this stuff, but okay. And they sit at a table with people that have paid to be there and those people are dull. And the whole thing is just this, I don't know, formality. Then the rich person gets to get their picture taken with the celebrity or they get to ask their one question, you know. And then I'm there and I'm like, and they say, well, what are you here for? I'm a musician, I'm a podcaster, and it sounds like, at least in the room, that that's a big deal, right? Because this guy is, is uh, this guy over here, you know, he he's some Amazon bigwig. This person, uh, you know, invented the lubricated ball bearing and I'm, I somehow, nobody's going to quiz me too deeply, but they're going to go, oh, I guess being a musician and a podcaster is some kind of thing. I don't know. What is it? You know, they look around and they're like, I guess that's a thing and then i'm you know then i'm authorized to be just in the mix just because i'm there and so yeah i would be if i were at an event with hillary clinton it would be as somebody's boy toy and so everybody's everybody there's going to tolerate me until i'm outed as a goofball right like if i start right out like tell us about the plane crash hillary they're gonna be like oh this guy you know yeah, this guy doesn't belong here. This guy is a this guy is one of the uh, caterers and he just put on some he put on a coat and tie and now he's sitting at the table. Let's get him out of here. But if I start with like you know, when you were at Yale, that was only a couple of years after women were allowed at Yale. What was the what was the temperature then? What was it like to be a pioneer and have that aspect of your college life? never really talked about in the media. We all talk about you as, you know, a feminist ball buster at Yale, but, but we don't acknowledge that like uh, up until 1968, you couldn't even, couldn't even be a woman at Yale. And then she's got a thing nobody ever asks her about. That's actually probably something that really colors her experience. And she can go, actually, you know, that, uh, that is very true. And at the time, um, a lot of, the, a lot of the professors and the administration and other students were very hostile to women at Yale. And so we weren't just fighting, you know, I wasn't just fighting at a national level for women's rights. I was also every day kind of walking across campus and getting scowled at. It's like, oh, this is an interesting conversation now. And all the industrialists who are sitting at the table wanting to ask her for a tax break or something are like, oh shit, now I got to sit here and listen to a real conversation for a second this is yeah, this is this is getting in the way of my plan to talk to her about uh you know Goldman Sachs which is what we're all here to do so you know you get you slip in there and then you hope you hope at the end of the night that Hillary Clinton as she's going down the line and shaking everybody's hands you hope that she holds your hand for an extra second mm. and goes really nice to meet you nice talking to you and you go thanks and then you know and then you briefly think Maybe we're friends. Maybe she's going to ask me to be part of her administration. Maybe she'll ask me to be chief of staff. You flatter yourself. Right? I do this a lot. I flatter myself. Flatter, you flatter yourself thinking I uh, that was a real experience that I had. That was a real moment and I gave her a little something. Mm-hmm. I gave I gave Hillary a moment that was authentic and that that she felt for a brief moment like this wasn't just a a a, like a performance, but it was, I actually made a human connection with somebody. Now that's flat. That's self flattery, right? She's just, she's just trying to get in and out of this thing. She actually probably doesn't want to have an authentic conversation. She doesn't want to reveal any self or reveal anything about herself to this group. But you know, that's just being a, that's just being a, a conversationalist by trade, I guess. I mean, last night watching Adele, She's up there on stage and she's making very, very uh, overt connection with people in her audience. She's looking so the house lights are kind of up through the whole show and she's looking out from the stage and seeing people's faces and she's looking at them in the eye and she's giving them a huge smile and she is giving them this brief connection that really charges people up and throughout the show couple of times she brought people up on stage and she's looking out in the room. And she's like, you, you know, I really like your dress. You, why don't you come up here for a second? You know, she does that. But then I posted a video on Instagram where she gets down and she actually walks through the crowd and goes to a second stage in the middle of the room. And as she's walking through the crowd, she stops and she hugs this 10 year old girl. And I'm standing right there and I'm making a video of her. And she walks right past me and you see this electric smile of connection because she's got a fabulous smile. But for a brief second, you realize that she's walking through this, walking down this scrum of people, all of whom are like trying to reach her and touch her and every, and people are filming her and everybody's trying to look at her. She gives this smile. An, this electric connected smile of seeing someone that you recognize and being like, Oh my God, it's you. But the smile at that, in that brief moment, isn't directed at anyone in particular. And you watch the video a couple of times and you're like, Oh wow. Like she has the capacity to, she has taught herself to be able to make that, that, intense smile of recognition and like di- energy direction, but she's taught herself to just make it. And if she points it at you, you feel like, oh, she saw me. She knows me. But in this, in this brief second, she gets done holding the, uh, hugging the 10 year old girl, which was an authentic hug. And the girl was, will be changed forever by it. Nice. And then she turns and starts to walk down the aisle a little bit and she turns on that that smile that light and it's kind of directed just generally toward a toward a group of people and maybe some of them were like that was for me <laughs> but for from my perspective it was like oh wow that's intense right. because she is a real person that is a real look but her fame and then you know the tens of thousands of people that want that from her has she's taught herself to be able to do that as a kind of just broadcast and that has to i know for a fact that has taken something from her like to to do that requires energy but it's also taken something away from her to have learned how do you mean because she no longer because now when she does that to someone she recognizes actually someone she actually loves and wants to see and actually turns that smile on them. She knows that she, there's some question in her mind about how real it is or how much she has diminished that by turning it into a, turning it into a talent.
0: Well, that's a bummer. Well, yeah. We would like to thank Wealthfront, the automated investment service with nearly $3 billion in client assets under management. What does this mean? In plain English, it means you can start with as little as 500 bucks, and you can open up an investment account. And you know what? You, you really should be investing. You really should be saving. This isn't like a day trading thing. This is long-term savings for your future, for your retirement, for your kids, for the kids you may one day have. They have a really cool deal. No trading commissions. It's completely free for accounts under $10,000. For accounts larger than $10,000, they charge you a management fee of 0.25% per year. That's some of the lowest you're, you're going to see anywhere. Normally, just to get access to this kind of wealth management, it's going to be 1% or more per year. And you're going to have to invest hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, again, to get access to their technology, their rigorous investment research, to cut out the middleman, all of this is gonna be yours. You can start with only five hundred bucks. Isn't that crazy? Five hundred bucks. Now they average about sixty thousand dollars. That's the average investment of one of their uh, one of their clients. But they're doing something special for you guys, for you listeners. If you go to wealthfront.com slash five by five, instead of the first ten thousand dollars being free forever, it's going to be 15k 15,000 bucks entirely free of charge for life that means in addition to never paying commissions, no hidden fees, you also won't pay any management fees at all on the first 15k that you have invested so go check it out it's at wealthfront.com/5 by5
1: Being a celebrity is, is a bummer or it's hard and it's you know you can't do it successfully without giving away not just, you know, the momentary energy that it requires to entertain thirty thousand people, you know, the the two hours that you have to expend, but also the the uh the you know the permanent loss of something integral to you. And if you're up on stage and you're being uh Marilyn Manson and you're dour and you're you're not giving anybody anything. Except your cartoon, you still are. You still have done something to yourself to be able to do that. Where you have, you've, you over time you misplace things about yourself that you know. Then you're sitting around and you just can't. You can't reconnect those to the reality of being an actual human,
0: which is terrible. That is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Mm have you experienced this yourself are you speaking from personal personal knowledge and experience
1: well yeah I mean I've always tried to be human I've always tried to be myself but what what that's ended up meaning is that gradually I have I've caricatured myself such that now I inhabit a caricature of myself to a to a greater or lesser degree. And I tried very much. I had, I had some foreknowledge of this experience because I watched it happen to people that were close to me. And, and this is why I say, you know, if you get famous before the age of 29, it's, uh, it's, it can be, it can be permanent, right? You can be destroyed because you don't already have a self. That's very clear. Right. Right. You're twenty three years old. You don't have a self yet, really. And if you're, and if that self becomes, if that self uh, happens within the context of you being famous and and adored, forget it. Or, or there's hardly a chance that you're not going to come out the other side a total creep. Right. But I didn't. You know, I nobody cared about me until I was in my thirties, and so when I started to. Build a, a, a stage persona and then a public face for myself. I tried to make it pretty close to who I was. Get up on stage and say, you know, I know you want to hear another song, but I'm going to talk to you for ten minutes right now about uh, what you know my opinion of the in, of the valet parking industry. And there's nothing you can do about it because I'm on stage and you're not. Right? You paid the money. You can you can leave. And feel like you wasted your money, but I shoulder no burden, right? If you feel like this concert was a waste of money for you, yeah, fuck you. Right. It's not a waste of money. Sit here and listen, because I have valid things to say about the ballet parking industry. And that was not, not who I am, right? That's not incompatible with who I am, but over time, because you're doing it every night, because, and you know, and I'm trying to be my genuine self every night, but on those nights where, where normally I would say, I'm just going to sit and read a book and sit in the bathtub, but instead I, I'm on stage, it, it gradually becomes a caricature. And so people now who know me, right. Think of me, uh, in, uh, characteristic terms, right. You said earlier, like I'm talking to a curmudgeonly old guy, right? Sure. That's part of my performance. And, and the more that that gets reflected back upon you by your fans and, and and friends even because your friends aren't separate from that your friends are watching you perform at shows too and you know and that bleeds over into your friendships pretty soon i'm more and more fulfilling the expectations of that role and i enjoy it I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to walk into a room and and say, fuck you. Because it's easier than walking into a room and saying, hi, everybody, I'm vulnerable to you right now. You know, hi, please don't reject me. Um, I did a show in Portland the other day where most of the people in the room didn't know who I was. It was a storytelling show rather than a rock show or a comedy show. It was like a fairly earnest, like get up and tell your story kind of show that had become popular. There were hundreds of people in the room, but it was much more of a, of, of an earnest crowd. And the woman who promotes the show and hosts it is a fan of mine. And she's like, I'd like to introduce you guys to John Roderick from Seattle. And there's a kind of smattering of applause for at the mention of Seattle because of that Portland, Seattle sure. thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And I stood up and said, yeah, that's right. I'm from Seattle. And then both middle fingers came up and I went <laughs> in my two middle fingers in the air, uh, raspberry <laughs> thing that I do <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and here's this room of 300 people that have never met me before. Right. And I'm giving them the double bird and the raspberry and it works, right? Because it's, because it's like not what they expect. Everybody else at that show is like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, here's my story. Thank you. And I go, fuck you. If you don't like it, but that also is, uh, it's not a jail exactly, but, I did that then because that's what I do. Not because it was how I even felt. Um, and the, and, and so in a situation where it's like, here's John, he's from Seattle. And there's a sort of like, yay, Seattle. Right. I could go, hi, thanks. <laughs> and sit back down, which is what <laughs> right. most people do. Right. And accept that the crowd went, yeah, but I have refused to accept it. And I throw it back, which is great. I don't, you know, I wouldn't change that. Um, and it's certainly better than standing up and going, oh yeah, really? Thanks a lot. Thanks for your weird applause and sit back down all pissed off. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm incapable of going like, uh, oh, thanks. You know, I can't do that. No, I know you can't. But, but what I do do then casts me. Everybody in the room now kind of feels like
0: they know this guy they or, or this, is this or, kind of guy
1: or even if they've never seen this exact kind of guy, they know now that I'm dangerous to approach maybe <laughs> or you know whatever anyway, as time goes on, you know i'm forty seven now <sighs> and i'm i'm not I'm not imprisoned by this character. I'm not like Steven Tyler, who's got to walk in, who every morning has to wake up and intentionally put boogers in his hair because the expectation is that Steven Tyler's going to walk in, there's going to be boogers in his hair because who knows what happened? Are those his boogers? Are they somebody else's boogers? Who knows? He can't just like get a haircut and wear a tie once in a while because he likes to wear ties. He's got to have a bunch of bits and bobs string tied around his neck, little, you know, crapola
0: but at some point though uh don't you think that that the audience would permit him to change that to to change Mm. their perception and perceptive identity of him and who he is isn't that is that not allowed is that never allowed
1: maybe but he has given away so much of himself that it would never occur to him Like it's if Steven Tyler cut his hair and showed up in a three piece suit, maybe the world would follow and go, okay, that's fucking weird. I like, I like it or who knows what is going on, you know, but it would never occur to Steven Tyler because he has put his whole self into that, into that monkey suit. And it's, I mean, if you think about the if you think about when Metallica cut their hair,
0: yes, I remember that vividly. Right, that was a fucking <laughs> big yeah, news story. That was huge. Metallica cut their hair. It was huge.
1: But what Metallica was saying in that moment was, "Look, we came from a place of like scroungy dirt metal." And we identify more with grunge than we do with hair metal and hair metal is staking out a claim that they are never going to, that grunge was against them, which is true. That grunge was an, uh, uh, um, the grunge hated hair metal, which is true. And so hair metal is never going to cut their hair and follow grunge. It would be too much of a, it would be a defeat. Hair metal is going to Vince Neil is always going to be Vince Neil and he's going to, he's going to, even if he's sitting out in front of a strip club with a tin cup, he's never going to cut his hair. But Metallica is saying that's not true of us. We were always like punk metal, dirt metal. And so we identify with grunge and we're going to cut our hair because fuck you. Right. And everybody, or I mean, the, the controversy about it was, oh, Metallica's selling out because grunge is popular now and they're going, they're following the trend. But Metallica was making a political statement. And the exa- exact same thing when Chris Cornell cut his hair, because Chris Cornell, the, the whole first five years of Soundgarden, his, his complete identity was no shirt on, huge dark curly hair. I mean, he was like, I'm a sex God. It was, if you (laughs) took, if you took Jimmy page and Robert plant and combined them, (laughs) that was what Chris Cornell was trying to be. The dark haired swarthy Robert plant. And then he got a few years into that five or six years in and everybody in the world was trying to rock that look. And he said, Oh shit, you know, Chris Cornell is a very smart guy. Um, And he said, I don't like this. I don't like being now a, uh, I don't like other people telling me what I am. And so he cut his hair as a, very definitely a statement of like, screw you, you don't know me. Which was a very Seattle thing to do. Screw you, you don't know me. But, in the subsequent fifteen years, he has been wearing that weird greasy pencil mustache. Right. Because at a certain point he said, Weird, greasy punk pencil mustache is my thing. I'm not your I'm not your bare chested long haired rock god. I'm weird greasy pencil mustache guy. <laughs> and now I have no idea whether he could shave it off. Whether it's even whether it would ever occur to him.
0: Um, you know, it's interesting you you bring that up because things like like uh facial hair, which we've talked about on the show and off the show. I think it's interesting in some ways because people frequently identify with that. Like if the person has like a mustache or a beard or like to me in my mind you have like a full beard. Mustache thing, even if right now you don't, and periodically you will post a selfie on Instagram or something like that, where maybe you've trimmed it down to a goatee or it's just the just the mustache this week,
1: mm-hmm. or or shaved completely. Which every time I do it, I regret it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned that to me once. When I was asking you about your beer, and I've seen I've seen you where it looked like you had recently done that. Yeah, uh, in some uh, appearance, maybe you were maybe you were on doing something where you're on a radio. I can't remember, but you know, like that, I remember my dad always had, he always had at least a mustache, very frequently a beard. And I remember when he would shave the beard away to down to just a mustache. It was always like, Oh my, Oh my gosh. You're like, who is this guy? Uh-huh. And around Thanksgiving of last year, I just, I you know, was on, you know, not a vacation per se, but I was just taking it, taking it a little easy didn't shave and you know in three or four hours i had a full beard (laughs) and uh you know and my kids i think i told you this story but i can't remember if i did it on the air but my kids are like oh you know like we really like the beard and then after a little while they're like uh we don't we don't really like the beard you know can you can you please shave and i said sure i don't care you know Uh, and i uh I I shaved it, and immediately both of my kids were they were horrified. <laughs> they were like, "Dad, please grow it back." <laughs> my little girl, who is you know she's she's four, she she wouldn't let me like pick her up or hug her for until <laughs> there is at least like a few days of a beard back. You know, but what I'm leading up to with this is that I think there is that that kind of like we feel comfortable. We as people communicating with other people tend, I think, to feel comfortable with them if they fit into that box that they have perhaps helped us place them in. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, John Roderick, he's the, you know, the 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 rock and roll guy from Seattle and he's supposed to have a beard, maybe he shaved it, but like he's supposed to have a beard and glasses. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he wears a T-shirt, but other times he wears like a suit from the 1940s and, you know, you're never, you never know what to expect. That's what John is. John is the guy who will surprise you in some way. And then like someone that, and and I think we were talking off the air about Jesse Thorne. I was talking about, uh, I was talking about his, his beard and how it is. He's got a very, very long, sort of like a, a wispy wizard beard. Mm, always be wizard yeah and i you know that's not the necessarily like the, when i met him he was uh very quaffed he had a very um you know he's he's impeccably dressed uh most if not all of the time he had a lovely bow tie and and he just looked uh amazing and his look now has changed a lot not that he's not still dresses very well but it he has cha- he has changed his identity in the dress sense and the beard sense by doing that somewhat of uh, his identity has changed and i feel like there's that's kind of a little bit of what you're getting at it's like steven tyler or these other people have they kind of have crafted an identity that they now feel they're expected to maintain one way or another like you look at another good example of this is like hulk hogan And I mean, I remember Hulk Hogan doing like the Hulk, he, he, the Hulk Hogan sort of goatee style thing and the sort of Hulkster persona, like he still does that. And I don't know, like, I, I feel like it would just, it would seem very weird to, I mean, we all put on a public persona to some degree, I'm sure, but it seems to me like it would be difficult or whatever to to have that be an expectation that whenever you went anywhere or did anything that that uh that people would be expecting that of you. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, I think about the decision I made to start wearing glasses uh at the time it didn't feel like a decision, it just felt like, well, no, that's not true actually. I tried to wear contacts in high school. I got a pair of contacts and they were a struggle to put in. And it was kind of like breastfeeding. You know what I mean? Like if you, you try and put the baby on your boob, the baby often doesn't like the boob at first or doesn't know how to deal with it. Right. The boob goes in its mouth and it's like, I'm a baby. I'm a dummy. I don't know anything. Right. And you have to, in learning to breastfeed, you have to just stick the boob in the baby's mouth and go do it. Mm -hmm. Do not give the baby a chance. Do not, say how do you like this boob baby (laughs) you just say incoming (laughs) and then the baby will instinctively go like oh glorb 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 and then once the baby gets it but yeah that first couple of days it's a challenge for a lot of people and if you if you say i can't handle this because it's very tense and you're tired or whatever i'm not speaking from personal experience i have no baby has ever tried to breastfeed off of me but i've been there and you go, if you say, and I think this happens all the time, like, this isn't working. I can't do this. My baby is too dumb to figure this out, or <laughs> I am too uncoordinated to make this happen. Then the option is right there. Like, well, here's a bottle. You can give the baby the bottle. And with a bottle, it's much easier to like, because a nipple on a bottle is two inches long, right. just stick it in a baby. And the baby's like, well, shit. But, a, you know, it's breastfeeding is also painful. Well, for me, when I got contact lenses, it was like bring the boob in the baby. I put the contact on my eye, and I said, "This is awful. I do not want to put my finger in my eye. I do not want this." What at the time was like basically
0: a glass disc. Right, I, guess I was going to say, I, weren't they glass back in those days? I guess they
1: they had invented plastic ones, but they were about the thickness of a piece of construction paper, and they felt like construction paper. And so I put the contacts in and I, you know, I did all the things that you're supposed to do. I took them out, I put them back in, I showed everybody that I was capable of doing this. And then I put in my contacts and went on a date and it was a first date with the girl that ended up being my high school girlfriend. My first date, basically put in my contacts, put on my, you know, my little, uh, pink and purple plaid shirt and took my my brand new girlfriend my date kelly to a Warren Miller ski movie and in anchorage in the 1980s when warren miller came out with a new ski movie it was a big deal and it was the warren miller ski movie was being shown in the west high auditorium which was the biggest venue in anchorage and it was packed and getting tickets to the Warren, the debut of the Warren Miller ski movie was a big deal. And I don't know if you've you ever seen a Warren Miller ski movie. I have not. But Warren Miller was like a like an old guy who had been making movies about skiing for a long time. And what he did was he flew around the world and had rented helicopters and had film crews and just filmed people doing big ski jumps and skiing through fresh powder. And then Warren Miller would narrate it in a kind of folksy humorous way where somebody would oh and a lot of a lot of the footage was in slow motion so somebody would jump off the top of a mountain and just powder snow just flying all around and they jump over a tree and they're flying through the air and you're like oh my god that's so amazing and then warren miller says something like well uh, you know, scheduled for a two fifteen landing,
0: and I you're think like, "I've seen something like this."
1: You're like, "What? That's hilarious!" And then the guy, you know, lands in the powder, big fluffy powder, and then he, you see him start to lose his balance, and Warren Miller goes, "Oh, oh!" And you're like, Whoa, "That's just what I was thinking," you know, and it, and <laughs> like <laughs> they were a big deal. Because there, no, uh, there was no ESPN. There was nowhere you could watch uh, footage of people doing big ski jumps. Right. Like okay. this was it. And in Anchorage, watching somebody ski in slow motion through deep powder in 1984 was absolutely pornographic. Like everybody in there was having a full-on porn sex experience. And I was in there with my date. And she wasn't much of a skier. So this was one of those first dates where I was like, hey, you know, let's, I, you know, I'd like you to go on a date with me. Okay. Want to go to a, a ham radio uh, festival? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> want to go watch curling? Sure. What's cur-? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, want to go to a big ski movie? And I, it didn't occur to me. I was a teenager, right? It didn't occur to me that everybody didn't want to go to this. Right. How could they not? Right. So we're sitting there in the theater. The lights go down. The Warren Miller ski movie starts. Big, deep pow pow skier. Wow. Woo. Look at him go. And I rub my eye because it's irritating me, and my contact comes out. Uh oh. I'm like, shit. So I've got this contact in my hand. I've only been in the movie for five minutes. And I lean over and I say, I've got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. She goes, okay. I leave her. I go into the bathroom at the West High Auditorium and I spend 45 minutes trying to get that contact oh back. And I'm filling it full of water, uh, trying to get it in my eye. I can't. And it comes out and it falls over and it's this and that. And The problem is I didn't bring my contact
0: case. Right. And the solution wasn't there. Because
1: I'm just going on a date. I'm only going to be gone a you know, few hours. I had my new contacts. I was, a, I was already a pro at this. And I'm there. And if I don't get it back in my eye, then I've got this dead contact in my hand. And this is before disposable contacts. Right. So this contact is like my only guy. I'm going to have to, I have to care for this little friend. Oh, also this was before you could wear contacts all the time, right? You had to put them in, take them out all the time. And so. Oh, I struggled to get this thing. And finally, I think I got it in, but it wasn't in the center of my eye. It was kind of over to the side. (laughs) I went back in and my eye was the color of a tomato from all this action. And I'm sitting, I sit back down. I can't really see the movie. I can only see it out of one eye. She says, where did you go? I'm like, I'll tell you later. I watched the last half of the Warren Miller ski movie, just sort of in like embarrassed agony.
0: Mm.
1: And then we get out of the movie and I'm like, look, I can't, I got to go home. My fucking contact is all fucked up. And she's like, yeah, you look terrible. Oh no! So I drop her off and I go home and I take those contacts out and I never put contacts in again. I don't blame you. I put glasses on. And I put my glasses back on and I was like, that's it. I'm done.
0: I and respect that- you oh, for oh. trying. I never even tried. I'll see.
1: So from that moment on I was what 15, 16 years old. I never uh, I never tried contacts again except for one time I did in about 1999. I went down, I got contacts again, which was an excruciating process because apparently my eyes are flat. <laughs> and I walked out of the I walked out of the place. I started walking down the street. And I felt like my entire life I had been I had had a plexiglass shield in front of me that protected me from birds and uh, crossbow bolts <laughs> and people throwing mud in my eye. And now I had taken away my shield and I was just as vulnerable as could be. It was like I was walking bare ass naked down the street. Every single thing I saw, I thought was going to fly into my eye. And I got home and I was like, screw this. Right. And I put my glasses back on. So the idea right now of me. Not wearing glasses, of getting LASIK surgery or something? No way! I'm wearing these till the day I die. Mm.
0: Well, John, I think we should end the yeah, show. Yeah, I now.
1: guess uh, that's pretty good ending.
0: <laughs> People have been complaining to us that they. Either they can't tell that the show is ending or they don't like the way that we're ending it. So perhaps we should end the show. Yeah, We should have a
1: definite ending for the show. So people know the show is over. Don't get confused about whether or not the show is still going, but also not an ending that like is jarring or in any way makes them feel like the end of the show isn't being respected by us, the
0: showers. Right. So uh, let let us now end the show.
1: Do you feel that people uh, are ready for the show to end? Not yet. Here, we'll do the end of show sound. Here we go.